0: Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, senior minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. From Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious God, our hearts are full of joy this morning to sing your praises and to lift petitions to you. But as we hear your word read and proclaimed, fill our ears with your words. Fill our souls with your presence but transform our hearts, O Lord, so that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So imagine with me, if you will, it's a September night. We're in the classy city of San Diego, California. We're at a baseball game. We're watching the San Diego Padres Take on the New York, or on the, on the Texas Rangers. The New York Rangers, that's hockey. We'll get back to that. Um, but they're playing the Texas Rangers. We're watching this, and it's the top of the seventh inning. It's two outs. The Rangers are ahead seven to four. Elvis Andrews is on third base. The Padres have Kevin Quackenbush, a right-hand pitcher, on the mound. The Rangers sent Will Venable up to the plate. He's a left-hander. So one ball, two strike count. And here's the the moment. And in that moment, Quackenbush looks in to get the sign. He looks over at third at Elvis Andrews. He looks down into glove to begin his windup. And as he does so, that's when it happens. In an instant, just like that, Elvis Andrews streaks straight from third base, straight into home plate, under the throw from Quackenbush, safe. He's stolen home. He's stolen. The crowd goes wild. I mean, even, even the Padres fans, they go wild at this because they've witnessed the impossible. They've witnessed a play that nobody gets to see in baseball because stealing home is difficult. Impossible, if you will. It's so rare. If you think about it, the pitcher stands 60 feet, six inches from home plate. The pitcher who can throw a ball 90 miles an hour is there, but 90 feet from home plate is the runner. And I don't care how fast they run, they don't run 90 miles an hour. It's just not possible. And yet it happened. But what makes this even more interesting and more impossible is you've got a right hand pitcher. So he's standing there on the mound looking right at the runner on third. The whole time he's pondering his delivery, he sees the runner on third. Because the batter is a left-handed batter, the catcher sees at his peripheral vision the runner on third. It's the most exposed play in baseball. And yet Elvis Andrews pulled it off. He pulled it off. See, stealing home is next to impossible. If you're going to do it, especially in those conditions, you've got to have three great attributes. You've got to have an awareness of what's going on. You've got to have audacity, and you've got to have commitment. See, Elvis Andrews was aware. He had sort of timed out Quackenbush's delivery, and he realized in that split second that Quackenbush looked down and wasn't paying attention to him. And in that split second, he had the audacity to think, I can do this. I can steal home. He didn't look to the coach to see if it was okay. He didn't ask for permission. He said, I can do this. And with that, he came the third part. He was committed all in and he went running down the baseline, never looking back, never looking over at Quackenbush, just his eyes on the prize, focused on home plate, on getting there and sliding under the tag. And it all comes together. That awareness, that audacity, that commitment all comes together. And with that moment, not only did he change the play, but he will say that when people see you steal home and you do it successfully, it changes the feeling of the game. It changes the outcome of the game. It changes the game all the way around. And people talk about it for days, weeks, and even years to come. They still talk about that play in San Diego. Days, weeks, and years later. In our passage today from Matthew, we have Jesus talking to the disciples, and he gives them the great commission, the sending forth, if you will. He's been teaching them for the last three years. This is following the resurrection. He says, Go into the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in my name. Teaching them everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you even unto the end of the age. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus sending them forth, he says, You've wondered why I called you to follow me for three years. Here's what it is go forth and do these things. This Great Commission is the foundation of the mission of our church, the mission of our church to follow Jesus. Make disciples for the transformation of the world. I love that mission statement. It's not really all that hard to figure out. It's nice cause and effect. You follow Jesus, you make disciples, you transform the world. Think about it with me. If we took Jesus's commandment to love our God with all of our heart and all of our might and to love our neighbor as ourselves, then we're following Jesus. Jesus. If we're going into the world and we're finding our friends and our neighbors who don't know the love of God, they don't know Jesus, they don't know what that means, and we teach them and invite them to follow along with us, we're making disciples. And if we and the rest of the disciples walk hand in hand doing those things, how can we not change the world? a world that desperately needs to know the love of God, the world that desperately needs to know how to speak civilly to each other, a world that desperately needs what we know we find in here. Strong relationships, help in times of need. See, when we do those things, the world cannot help but be transformed. But I challenge you to this. I think in order for us to live that mission statement, in order for us to fulfill that mission, we've got to steal home. We've got to have an attitude and awareness and audacity, a commitment, if you will, to do the impossible. We've got to have awareness, audacity, and a deep abiding commitment. See, to follow Jesus and to make disciples, we've got to be aware of the world around us. What's going on outside of the walls of this church, outside of the walls of our homes? We've got to uncover what is the greatest need in our community, what is the greatest need in our world, and to be fully aware of it. Maybe that greatest need is hunger. How do we fight hunger and poverty in our community? I mean, in a land of plenty where we're paying farmers not to grow crops, how is it possible that there is still one in five children in our community that are hungry? And when we're aware of that, we begin to know maybe what God is calling us to do. Or we look at our schools and realize that all of the educational energy, all the money, all the time, all the commitment that we put and we pour into education, that there are still children that struggle to stay on grade level in reading and mathematics. Maybe that's the awareness we need. Or maybe we become aware of people around us, people who are seeking deeper relationships with other people, people who are isolated. People who have been hurt by the world and the things that the world has said about them or to them. People that need to know what you and I have found here in the walls of this church, a fellowship that's so wonderful that we enjoy being together. We enjoy having someone that can share the load with us, that hears our, that we can share our burdens and our hopes and our dreams with. And some that will help us fulfill them. Someone that will help us ease our pain, our grief and our suffering. Or maybe we become aware of people that are mired down by the ugliness of life that need to be pulled out of the mud, the muck, and the mire. Or as as the band sang earlier, that we hear them all. Or maybe our awareness should be of people whose voices the world cannot hear because their voice isn't loud enough. But while we're aware of the greatest need of our community, we also need to be aware of our own blessedness, our resources, our networking, the ways that we get things done, the people that we know. I, I love the phrase that happens oftentimes in church meetings where we start talking about how to solve something. And someone says this line, and I'll probably write a book by this title one day, I know a guy. <laughs> I mean, everybody knows somebody like, do you have, you know, do you have a car? Park? I know a guy we got to get this done. I know a guy and it's universal It's males and females. I mean, I went to someone and said, you know, there was a, a lady that moved in our church and she said, I'm looking for a hairdresser. Someone goes, I know a guy and I wasn't sure. That doesn't really matter. Maybe it is a guy, maybe it's a woman. I don't know, but we know someone. We become aware of our resources. We become aware of our skills, our talents, and even better yet, our passions. What are the things that drive our hearts that we want to pour our time and our energy into? And then finally, to be aware of God's working in our very midst. How God's Spirit is flowing in and out of each and every one of us and through our congregation. You see, once we're aware of these things, then we know the whole situation. We're like the runner on third, we have a real good picture of our situation, our present reality. And then with that awareness, if we want to steal home, then we've got to have audacity. We've got to think to ourselves, while we can do this, why not us? I mean, what about if we have the audacity to think that we as individuals or collectively as a congregation could make a dent in hunger in our community because of our passion, our time, our energy, our networks, all because we know people. Or better yet, what if we sat down and we looked at our calendars and we said, I've got 30 minutes a week that I could go to a local elementary school where children are struggling to read and I could let them read to me and I could read to them and help them with their reading scores. What if we had the audacity to say that or we had the audacity to think that we could actually help people change their lives by befriending them and making relationships with them? Or take the audacity of our youth who said years ago, we can build relationships and friendships with the homeless people in our community. And so they started the love thy neighbor ministry. You talk about an audacious plan, a bunch of teenagers that said, we can do this and came to our church leaders and said, let us. Or think of those friends that you know or that new neighbor that you're sure is new to town is not quite sure which end is up and where things are And if we had the audacity to walk across the street to befriend them and then to invite them to our church to be a part of our fellowship because we know what good is happening in here and what it means to us in our hearts and then I love this one what if we had the audacity to dream big I mean big I mean, you've already started that thought with this idea of the transformation on 5th and talking about this idea of transforming our church by renovating our spaces. But what if from that we have the audacity to think even bigger than just a physical transformation, but we began to look at an internal transformation that became an external transformation? You see, my brothers and sisters, if we want to steal home, if we want to change the game in our community, then we need to ask ourselves is what do we have the audacity to try? The thing that no one thinks that we can do, that thing that's next to impossible, like stealing third, I'm stealing home. What if we took, if we stood on third and we thought we've got the audacity to change our community and no one thinks we can do it. What if we tried it? But you know what? Audacity and awareness aren't enough. See, to change the world, to make a difference, to change the game, like stealing home, we've got to be fully committed to it. We can't be wishy-washy about it. If you know anything about baseball, if you're standing on third and you decide to steal home, you can't get halfway there and go, whoops, my bad. Because then you're caught in the pickle. And if you've ever done that, if you've ever tried to steal a base and you get caught in the middle or you play the backyard game pickle, you know that you run back and forth and back and forth. Let me tell you how that turns out not so well for you. (laughs) Elvis Andrews stood on third and he said, I've got, he was aware. He said, I've got the audacity. I'm going, and he never looked back. See, my brothers and sisters, we've got to be all in. When we have these awareness things, and we're fully aware, and we come with this audacious dream, we've got to be fully committed to what we set our hearts out to do. The gospel demands that it demands that we put our blood, our sweat, our tears, our sacrifice, our time, our talent, our resources—that we've got to be all in for it. It's as if you will, if you think about your breakfast platter, you want to understand the difference between a contribution and a commitment. Look at the look at what happens at breakfast. You've got a plate of eggs and bacon. The chicken made a contribution. The pig committed. You got it, don't you? That's what God wants from us. God wants us to be committed that we're all in to make it possible. See, if we've got the audacity to transform ourselves on 5th, it's not just about raising money to do a renovation of the building. The transformation on 5th is about something greater. Because as those buildings are open, as we get the new education building, the fourth floor back open, as all that project comes, think about what new ministries we could do. How our children's ministry could grow and make room for more children to teach them the gospel so that they would know that Jesus loves us at a deeper level. Or that our youth find new ways to take their faith and to put them in action. And that's just with our current ministries, but think about the commitment that we would have to new ministries and to bring new people in. The transformation on fifth would then no longer be just about a building, no longer about a capital campaign, but it would be about a church transforming itself to be in ministry to the world, to go out baptizing in Jesus name, commanding and teaching what God taught us to do, to transform the world around us, to change our community for the good of the kingdom. Isn't that what God is calling us to do? Isn't that what God is calling us to be committed to do? The mission sounds simple. Follow Jesus, make disciples, transform the world. I believe it is that simple. I believe it really is that simple that we follow Jesus, we bring people in, make them disciples and we transform the world. But I think in order for us to do that, we've got to have a whole new attitude about it. We've got to have a whole new idea about how we're going to go about it. And I believe that if we, are, if we practice an attitude of awareness, audacity and commitment, then the sky is the limit. Then the possibilities for ministry in our community and around the world are limitless. And if we work together, fully committed, fully aware, with audacious hopes and dreams, then we bring the kingdom of heaven a little bit closer. And guess what? We steal home. We change the game. And oh, yes, we transform our world. Amen and amen.